right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Week in Mormons, the Sisters Edition, with your host, Ariane Smith. And Tiffany Hales. Yay! Okay, and we, for the first time ever, are not, most people probably don't know this because you just listen to us and you don't know, but usually we're in the same room when we record. And for the first time ever in how many years have we been doing this? Five years. We're not together. We're in the same, like, we live in the same town, but we're not in the same room because of COVID. (laughs) Of course. Ariane, would you like to explain and acknowledge your part in this? (laughs) Well, I have COVID. Well, I'm coming off of COVID. (laughs) My husband went to Las Vegas for a business, like big convention, first time in two years. And two days after he got home, he got COVID. And two days later, I had COVID. (laughs) So... And it was during the month of May, which is like Mom Olympics. I was like, um, exactly. who's going to go to the dance recital? Who's going to go to the choir concert? Who's going to be the art mom this week? It was a whole thing. <laughs> but yes, we, were, we worked it out. I had a, a very good friend who Marco poloed me from the choir concert with live video of my child. <laughs> that works. And then we strategically worked out the dance uh, the dance recital. But the good news is my kids do not have any signs or symptoms of COVID. So they were able to still do all of the concerts and dance recitals and things. So that was good. They didn't have, they didn't have to miss. So. Yes, that is good. And I refuse to come to your house because uh-huh. I have a son that is graduating high school this Friday and gosh, darn it. I'm not taking any chances in getting sick. So no. I said, we're going to have to record separately because, uh, uh, mama, mama Doug got time for this. <laughs> Which I totally understand. So, so, you know, COVID strikes again. Uh, apparently Jeff may also have COVID right now. Is that what I'm I, getting according to Facebook? According to Facebook, it seems like he went to a super spreader event known as the Washington Temple Open House. Well, I can't wait to hear about that next week when he's back on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, say because we all we told people last month we'll follow up when we're back with like what yes. our awards did for Mother's Day. This is an annual event. We always like to share what our awards did for Mother's Day. Yes. Uh, so, what did you? do this year? How'd they do? Okay. Well, I was in charge of it. So I would say they did really well. (laughs) Well, of course. (laughs) That always helps when you need to be the picker. (laughs) So what'd you pick? (laughs) I have wanted you to usurp Mother's Day in my ward for quite some time now. And I most effectively did it this year. Finally had your chance to reign. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm in the Relief Society presidency, so that helps. And uh, we politely told the men, we're taking over this year. We're not happy with what you're doing. That's hilarious. So here's what we did. So historically, what we have always done is we have always gotten together for the Relief Society hour. The men cut us enormous slices of cheesecake, put them on a plate with about two cherries from cherry pie filling and serve it to us. I eat about three bites and then I don't want to eat anymore because it's too rich, but I don't want to throw it away because that's rude. So I'm stuck with this hunk of cheesecake and a dilemma. (laughs) So this year, Our ward starts at 11 and we start with Mm -hmm. sacrament meeting. And then, of course, we have second hour at noon. So I said, we're going to serve lunch. So here's what what I know. (laughs) Well, you know, last year, that Father's Day, they got the whole big barbecue. I'm like, well, if that other ward could serve barbecue on Father's Day, I can certainly do a lunch. So here's what we did. It was very simple. We got those plastic clamshells, you know, that like you can put food and stuff in. And so we got those. We went to Costco. We got croissants at Costco. And Costco also makes a very delightful uh, chicken salad. And so we got the croissants. We cut our croissants in half. We bought the Costco chicken salad. We stuffed the chicken salad in the croissants, put it in a little clamshell with a cookie and some fruit. And so, and then the little clamshell had a little Mother's Day sticker. So the sisters uh, were invited to come into the, the cultural hall and they could grab their little lunch in a water bottle. They could sit there and eat their lunch if they wanted. If for some reason they were hungry, then they could take their lunch with them. And then when we had extras at the end, we could deliver them to sisters in our ward who 
didn't get any. And also because it was chicken salad, we could do a gluten-free option because we have some sisters that are Mm gluten-free. So rather than put their chicken salad on a croissant, we put their chicken salad on a lovely bed of lettuce and give them a fork. Okay. Well, this sounds quite lovely. I like your Mother's Day plan. And then at the very least, like if you're in primary, like I am, you get lunch to go and you go home and you just be like, kids fend for yourself. I got my own lunch. Oh, no, 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 no. Here's what we do. This is where we told the men they were going to be involved. All the sisters came into the gym, the primary sisters, the young women sisters. We told the men, we're going to be in charge of the activity. You guys are in charge of young men, young women, and primary. So we sent all the dads to primary and to young men and young women. I think the young men, young women did a combined lesson, and I think the bishop taught or something along that line. I would say they did give us the option. I am in primary. I did get the option a week before. They said, do you want a sub for your class? And I actually said, no, I think I'll stay in primary. Can you tell I'm a new primary teacher? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So enough about my ward. What did your ward do? Our ward got, um, not crumble cookies, twisted sugar cookies. Ooh. Which for those who are unfamiliar, it's like the latest, greatest cookie. Okay. Cookies. Little box. So it's perfect. And our ward is not Ward has not typically done that. They totally got it right this year. Our ward has been famous for bath bombs in the past. Oh, yes. And you're not a bath person. No. So this year when they handed a cookie, I was like, I was thrilled. It was good. Sweet. Very, very cool. All right. Well, and then I think it was, didn't Jeff put a poll up on the Facebook page, I think on Mother's Day saying, what do people's uh, wards do for Mother's Day? And I was like, totally impressed. I mean, there were people there. I thought my spread was good. Oh no, my spread was paltry compared to some of the pictures oh, on the Facebook. I missed that. I did not see that. I'm gonna have to go back and look. You will. I mean, like there were people who had full on like nacho bars and all sorts of stuff going on. Oh, <laughs> so hopefully maybe we're inspired wards to step their game up when it comes to Mother's Day. <laughs> okay, that is fun. Well, we'll have to report back after Father's Day and, and see what happens then. Okay. So, so aside from COVID, how else is the month of May treating you? I honestly, I feel like between the month of May and COVID, I don't know when I've seen you. I know. We really haven't caught up much. Uh, May's been good. We're, we're making it through. Uh, we're through the We're through the craziest of the crazy. Oh, good. So, it's just a lot of a lot of things. Oh, I had a one of my kids got baptized. You know that because oh, you were there. That's right. Probably one time I saw you during the month of May. So yeah, that is always exciting to have a freshly baptized, fresh baptism uh, in the family. So that was great. It's great. So well. I just decided to add chaos to my life because, you know, my life doesn't have enough chaos. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's the month of May. I've got a senior who's graduating, all of the other regular like May crazy. And Darren and I decide, let's do a home remodel slash update project because wouldn't that be fun? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So my home is currently like every room is torn apart because we're repainting every room. We've changed out fixtures, light bulbs, cabinet knobs. He put a brick wall in. Um, I, you know, and for every one thing we fix, we see five other things, but this is desperately needed to be done because we've lived in this home for 11 years. And when we moved in, we had six kids at home. We are now down to one kid at home who is a senior. And let me tell you, those six kids, they were not kind to this home. They beat it up. They were just kind of like a bad investment. So we are undoing all of the damage they have done. Darren said to me, he's like, I think each kid should have to come home and paint a room as penance for their behavior. And I'm like, that sounds very reasonable to me. That is brilliant. That is so brilliant. I'm currently in the phase of my kids are beating on my house real hard. Yeah. Yeah. And we were in that phase for a long time and I just had to put blinders on and go look the other way. You cannot have nice things till you get rid of your children. It's not even worth fixing at this point. Exactly. That's funny. All right. Well, should we move on to some news stories? Well, we probably ought to. That's why we're here. I guess random news week. Uh, Nothing like breaking, but lots of like fun, fluffy stories. So we have lots of human interest. Lots of human interest tonight. 
Okay. Well, okay. I'm going to take the first one. So this one did, did just come out today, I believe. And it was a um, Salt Lake Tribune article by Andy Larson. And it is kind of a follow-up to an article they put out a couple of weeks ago. Um, a couple of weeks ago, they put out an article um, just talking about how the, stati- the latest statistics that have come out from the church, the LDS population in the United States is like not growing, <laughs> which was not a surprise. Anyway, Jeff, and it's like raging in Africa and other countries. Um, so it's just talked about how the shift of growth in the church has now overseas versus in the United States. So Jeff talked about that article a couple of weeks ago. Well, this was a follow-up article. This um, reporter at the Tribune, Andy Larson, he did a deep dive um, just on the United States portion of that data um, that was from that original article. He said, okay, I want to like really dive into this nerdy data, like geek out on this data and pick apart this data for the United States. Um, So he wanted to know like how unusual is this? Because it said 21 states have fewer Latter-day Saints than they did two years ago. Oh, which that's like seems like a crazy high number. So um, he just wanted to like figure out how unusual a downturn like that is in 21 states. And so to do that, he kind of looked at like the past 40 years of official state by state data from um, church membership reports and kind of picked it apart to kind of find out like the trends and what was interesting. So um, he did say U.S. church membership is still growing, but definitely at a lesser rate than it was even just like five years ago. So um, Utah membership, Idaho membership, and Arizona membership is growing more consistently and linearly. Okay. Um, While other states that are like close to those states, California, Colorado, Wyoming, are more stagnant. Um, It said Utah's growth of 34,000 members for the past year uh, was the majority of the churches. The church added 42,000 members in the U.S., 34,000 of those were in Utah. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. (laughs) I really want to know, like, how many of those were babies? Does this count babies? Oh. I'm sure this counts babies. Or does it or does it just count baptized members? Oh, he didn't say. I'm trying to think. No, that has to be just baptized, right? Yeah, I, I don't think know. so. Yeah. So anyway, um, he said that growth rates over the past um 25 years have declined. Like after 1997, they were consistently about two percent a year the church would grow. Um, in the United States, and now it's declined to about 0.5% annually. Wow. That's like a, you know, a a big big percentage point. Yeah. Um, And then, uh, you know, there's these 21 states that now have fewer members than they did at the end of 2019. And he talks about, you know, the pandemic weighs into that. There was just a whole lot of movement um, throughout the pandemic of people moving to different states. <laughs> so that yeah. probably played a factor. Um, some of the states that this was interesting, the top 12 states in terms of growth for LDS are red states. Um, eight of the bottom 10 states for declining growth are blue states. Mm. Uh, so he, I don't know, just random interesting facts, right? I mean, I know here in the West, it, that totally makes sense because people from the coast the West Coast, Washington, Oregon, California are just flocking to Arizona, Utah, Idaho, Colorado. Um, There's just been this big exodus. And I know some of that was COVID driven and politically driven, I suppose, a lot of it. And people's, as people's jobs move online, cheaper housing has driven a lot of that. So um, anyway. Not not in the Boise area anymore. No, housing here is not cheaper anymore. Exactly. So you're going to have to go to Missouri now. Exactly. So. You're going to pay California prices in Idaho. You got to go more. You got to go to the Midwest now. <laughs> so, because I'm pretty sure Utah's like that too. Oh, yeah. Utah's so. like that too. No, seriously, Missouri is where the cheap housing is right now. So, if you want to get a jump on uh, the second coming, you know, sell your house in the expensive state, you can buy a lot of property in Missouri. You can scout it out for the rest of us. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, then he really nerded out in this article and he took like the proportion of membership decrease related to the proportion of uh, actual population increase or oh. decrease in each state. Um, and 34 states saw their proportion of church members decrease from 2019 to 2021. Wow. Um, in re- relation to their statewide population. Um, and he said that Utah, New Jersey, Idaho, and North Dakota were among the three biggest losers when compared oh. to their population change. I thought that was really interesting. That is. Um, and it probably just means there are more people coming into the state that are not LDS. Like obviously in, in Utah and Idaho, that number can easily shift when you get more people moving in that aren't LDS. Um but super random, like North Dakota and New Jersey. And then um, the winners that like grew their LDS communities in relation to the growth of their state were South Dakota, Washington, D.C., Arkansas. Hmm. So I don't well, know. It's what, they had to do to, it's what they had to do to get that temple there. That's right. So anyway, it is a fascinating read. If you like statistics and you want to see like a real breakdown of like state by state, he's got graphs and charts and things you can click on. Go look at this article if you're into that. So Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I tried, but I couldn't get through the paywall. So good luck that you got, or congratulations <laughs> to you for getting through the paywall. Thank you. I learned a trick. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to our next story. This was an article that was in the Deseret News. And it's about, it's it's kind of a biography piece on a new general authority by the name of Elder Jonathan Schmidt. And he is a general authority 70. And his wife is Alexa Schmidt. And they were called in April. And so it's it's a super interesting article. Um, it says, the Lord uses ordinary people. New General Authority and his wife described themselves as normal, ordinary, and available. So that kind of intrigued me. So I started reading this article and um, and and it just i i mean yes they seem very down to earth and very grounded they've also accomplished some pretty amazing things in their life anyway mm. so um uh, just to kind of give you some background, he was born in Mesa, Arizona, and um, grew up uh, within two two miles of both sets of his grandparents, which sounded very familiar to me because we were we were maybe within ten miles of both sets of our grandparents. And uh, he ended up serving a mission to the California Fresno Mission. And when he came back, he went to the University of Arizona. And while he was attending there, that's where he met his wife Alexis. She grew up in Boston and then she moved to Arizona at age 15 and she did a Spanish speaking missionary mission to California. So they meet, he is on the track to be a lawyer and she is on the track to be a doctor. And so they get married and they stay on these tracks, which is amazing because a lot interesting because a lot of times what happens is, you know, the wife will defer, uh, you know, once they get married, but no, they stayed on this track and they talk about how they juggled, um, sleepless nights in law school and medical libraries. They also talked about how they juggled their kids. They ultimately ended up moving to Houston because he uh, went into a law practice there and she ended up working in the emergency room at the veterans hospital. And so, you know, they would kind of work opposite shifts. And so he'd get home from work and she'd be handing him a kid or two and she'd be taking off for work. And so it just talked about how they um, juggled. And um, one of the things that they said at the beginning of the story is they had done um, an exploratory interview with Elder David Bednar. And that's not unusual. Um, People get recommended for missions, for general authority assignments. And so they haul them to Salt Lake and and they do these exploratory interviews. And so... um, they're in this interview with Elder Bednar and they say to Elder Bednar, at least Sister Schmidt does, she just blurts out, Elder Bednar, we're so ordinary. 
You know, they didn't <laughs> think that they were special. They didn't think they were, you know, anything, you know, to be all end all. And Elder Bednar responds, isn't it wonderful that the Lord uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things? And, um, and I just, you know, one of the things that that she says in the article that I really liked and that at least spoke to me is she says, I think it's important for women to know that you can be a good member of the church. If you're staying at home, if you're working, if you're divorced, if you're married, if you're in any situation, she said, adding as women, we need to stop beating ourselves up to fit in a certain box. And I guess I really appreciated that because, um, you know, I graduated from law school in 93 and I have always been a working mom and I have gotten a lot of stigma. There's been just a lot of stigma and a lot of judgment associated in the church with being a working mom. And I have a very good friend of mine that we went to law school together and she's experienced the same thing. And I think it's been so interesting in the last few years when you look at this sister who she never quit her medical practice. She continued Mm -hmm. to practice medicine. They were called on a mission. She quit for the three years they were on a mission. They go return from their mission and she goes back to practicing medicine. You look at her. You look at the new Relief Society president who was a working lawyer up until the time she was called as a Relief Society president. You look at um, Sister Sister Runland, Elder Runland's mm-hmm. wife. She was a working attorney and a working mom. And so for me, I am just so thankful now because I never had this growing up. There were never general authorities that had working wives as role models. It was always like, oh, you stay home with your kids and be a single mom, Mm -hmm. which again, if that works for you, great. I knew that was never going to work for me. And so it's so nice to see a multitude of women in these leadership callings doing a multitude of different things, because I think it's just so representative and so good for all the women. And like I said, especially her quote where she says, it does not matter what you do, you do you Mm -hmm. and you do what works for you. And let's quit having mom guilt and let's quit judging each other. So I, I really, I really liked that. And they just seem like a really dynamic couple. They seem very humbled very down to earth. And I just, I, I bet they're just really fun. They also talk about how active they are. They like to run marathons and hike the Grand Canyon and do all sorts of active things. I'm like, I don't know how you do that with your professional jobs. And I think they had three or four kids too. So they, yeah. they, do they still have kids at home. You know, I kind of wonder because they pretty young in the picture, fairly young. They are pretty young. So they got Mm -hmm. married in 95. So they have only been married for about 25 years. And so they probably do still have, I'm guessing they probably do. It didn't say when they started having babies, but considering, Mm -hmm. you know, he was in law school and she's going to medical school. I, I would, pontificate again, I have no idea that maybe Mm -hmm. they didn't have babies immediately upon getting married. So they Mm -hmm. could very well still have some children at home. Yeah, it's definitely when they went to serve their mission, they served their mission in, uh, I believe like 2014 to 2017, somewhere in there. I'm, I'm sure in that timeframe, they probably took Mm -hmm. young kids on their mission with them. Yeah. Very cool. So and very nice. Okay, next article we have. This is actually an opinion piece from the Deseret News. Um, this was by Hannah Syriac, and she it's called Latter Day Saints should be depicted in more than just disturbing true crime shows. Now, this mm-hmm. has been. I feel like this has come up in the podcast the past at least month. <laughs> Because every every week we get a report from Jeff and whoever his guest is on the latest episode of, um, oh, what's it called? Under the Banner of Heaven. Under the Banner of Heaven. Exactly. Which I haven't been watching, but it's been all over the news. So this has come up every week. But she kind of wrote this opinion piece uh, for the Deseret News. And she's talking about um, this other new comedy that is coming out. Jeff mentioned this a couple of weeks ago because I think it was just announced um, several weeks ago. But uh, British filmmaker Tim Kirby uh, is making a con- – when Jeff talked about this a couple of weeks ago, I did not realize it's a comedy. But it is about the story of the missionary that got kidnapped and raped while he was on his mission in England. 
Um, and there was a documentary that came out about it several years ago that you and I had watched and it was a wild story. That is for sure. But they're turning this into a comedy, like a dark comedy. And I think this director is the same director that directed, um, Fleabag, which I watched one season of Fleabag and it was very dark comedy. And it was about a priest who fell in love with like one of his, um, uh, Parishioners. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so uh, I can see religious themes going here for for this director. But um, this comedy, I think, is going to film either later this year or early next year. And um, she, this writer in her opinion piece is just saying, come on, can we get it together? Like, is this all we have to depict on the screen are these Mormon crime dramas. And she, you know, talked about under the banner of heaven and murder among the Mormons. And this new one about uh, the missionary in England is going to be called sinner versus saints. And then I guess she also said in this article that they're um, the awful story of that mom in pleasant grove that strangled her six children. Um, that uh, Netflix picked that up and they're going to oh. make a film. About that. Um, also the kidnapping of Jan Broberg in Pocatello uh, NBC universal has picked that up and they oh, will be dang. making, I know I'm like, well, this is a lot. We have had a lot lately. And like we have talked before for sure, there's going to be something eventually about Lori Vallow, some type of oh, dramatization. Yeah. Um. So anyway, she was just highlighting like, dang, like, is this all we have to make movies about when it comes to LDS? And then um, she also hit on, and this is immediately what I thought when I found out this new one about the missionary is going to be a comedy. She just hit on like, how is this a comedy and how is he getting away with presenting this as a comedy when it's an actual rape? Um Okay, here's a thought I have. You and I uh-huh. talked about this on the last podcast. We talked about there's something about Betty. Isn't that what it was? No, there's something about Pam. Pam. There's something about something Pam, Pam. Yeah. that we watched that was kind of comedical, even though right. she, she kills a bunch of people. It's very dark, and they made it, and somehow they got away with it, for sure. But um, she's just pointing out that, like, in the age of Me Too, how are they going to get away with this when it's talking about rape? But I think it's because it's a man. Like, like that's my personal take on it. If this were a story about a woman getting raped and kidnapped, mm. like I don't, I don't think they can make it a comedy whatsoever. But the fact that this is a missionary and a man, and I think that's awful. I don't think there should be this double standard. I, that's how they're going to get away with it. There is no way in the world, if this were a sister missionary, they could make a comedy about this and people would not be freaking out. Anyway. Agreed. So her whole take is like, come on, we have lots of other good stories to tell. And she you know, talked about the other side of heaven and Jane and Emma and some of these good LDS stories that we have to tell. So she was, she's kind of upset about all these true crime, but- um, which I get, but also I totally get it. And I do not feel like we are the only ones who are picked on. I think lots of other religions are picked on exactly how we are when it comes to like their depiction on TV. I mean, think about the Catholic church and, and they have, you know, with just with their sexual abuse stuff alone, there are so many uh, depictions out there of them on TV shows and and movies and documentaries. And then I also think, you know, the evangelical churches, they get a lot of also negative screen time in yep. their depiction in the media. They get, I feel like with them, it's either a comedy where they're being like completely made fun of. Um, you know, I just watched my husband, and I just watched easy a, which is like a comedy with, uh, Emma Stone in it last night. We had never seen it before. Uh-huh. And so, and of course there's a character in there that is like a evangelical type Christian and she has a prayer circle and she's like this comedic, like, I'll pray for you. I'm here to save everyone kind of character. So I feel like with evangelical churches, you either get that depiction or you get also like the true crime type of depiction yeah. when, when there's abuse in the church or when there is, um, like, you know, we watched the Tammy Faye, yeah. uh, movie that came out this year. So I don't think this is 
only us getting picked on. I think this is just the way media works, um, yes. especially when it comes to religion. So that's my opinion. But I, but I get her take. I get her frustration. Okay. And it sounds like we've got a lot more shows coming out over the next several years. So um, get ready for that. (laughs) All right. Well, on that same line, Um, I'm going to digress to a film that I don't know how much of an LDS take it will have on it. Although given the location, I don't know how it can't have an LDS take. I had never heard of this until I read this article. Now, you all are familiar with Bear Lake. At least most people are. You went to, did your family reunion there last summer at Bear we Lake. Did. That was my first trip to Bear Lake. It was quite it, lovely. It is a lake that sits on the Utah-Idaho border. It's very popular among members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints for recreation-type purposes. It is a very cold lake. It doesn't even matter if it's 100 degrees outside. That lake is still freezing. So... Apparently, there is a legend of a monster in Bear Lake, which, again, I had never heard of. And um, so this is an article that was in the East Idaho News, and the headline is, New Film Bringing Legend of Bear Lake Monster to Screen. So There you go. We do have other stories to tell. Monsters and crime. We have other interesting things. Sorry, go ahead. So, <laughs> we got our own Loch Ness monster. Apparently, in 1868, the Deseret News published a story about this. Locals, including prominent leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, reported seeing serpent-like monsters in Bear Lake, which sits on the Utah-Idaho border. And then the article quotes none other than Charles C. Rich, which really engaged me because we are descendants of Charles C. Rich. So he had multiple wives. I think we're descendants of like wife number two. I can't remember. She only had two children. Anyway, so he's like a great, 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 I don't know how many greats grandfather for us. And so he is, and he, he founded that area up in the Bear Lake area. And um, he's quoted as um, saying, you know, lots of people have seen this huge animal that they can't describe. And then the article says, Thomas Sight says he directly saw the sides of a very large animal that he would suppose to not be less than 90 feet in length, Rich reported. It was going south and all agreed it swam with a speed almost incredible to their stenses. Mr. Davis said he never saw a locomotive travel faster and thinks it made a mile a minute. And then someone else says they didn't see the body, only the head. It had ears or bunches on the side of its head, nearly as large as a pint cup. The waves at time would dash over its head and it would throw water out of its mouth or nose. Um, It did not drift landward, but appeared stationary with the exception of its turning head. So all sorts of stories. In fact, the story even caught the attention of President Brigham Young. So he makes a pilgrimage up to Bear Lake to investigate the Bear Lake monster. He did not see it. He did not see it. No, he just notes that there are locals who firmly believe in the story of the Bear Lake monster. And so it has been a legend for years. They have a Raspberry Day festival, which always includes a monster float in it. And apparently, supposedly, there was another sighting in 2002 of the monster. So in any event, this film is described as an action-adventure film with a mystery scare element. It's a mix of Goonies and Jaws. And so it is slated for theatrical release in 2024. Like very This isn't straight to BYU TV? No, theatrical release. (laughs) Okay. This will be interesting. (laughs) I do not buy it. There is no monster in that lake. I am not a believer. (laughs) Well, neither am I, but movie will probably be entertaining. So, you know, here's what's funny is we had my mother-in-law over for dinner last night and she grew up in Utah. I'm like, have you ever heard of the Bear Lake Monster? And she's like, oh yeah, I totally heard of the Bear Lake Monster. Really? Yeah. I have never heard of this in my life. Me neither. But, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we don't live, we probably don't live as close as the Utah people live to that lake. So there you go. <laughs> oh man. 
All right. Well, that'll be fun. Okay. Uh, next story. We have, oh, this is a fun one. Um, a BYU ROTC won a pretty big competition, military skills competition. So I guess every year there's a competition called Sandhurst Military Skills Competition. They do it at West Point and uh, different schools put together teams to compete in this. They do all kinds of like ranger type challenges, like from like running and swimming and like to like first aid and like blowing up a raft and putting it in the water and rafting, things like that. So um takes a lot of skills and it's very challenging, I'm sure. Well, the team from BYU finished fifth out of the Which- country. Is it very impressive? Pretty good. Also interesting to note, the 11-member BYU team, uh, nine men and two women, are all return missionaries, which I think that's probably pretty rare. I Um, think so, too. Especially for an ROTC team, because I know a lot of people that go into ROTC um, are on a military track and don't always go on a mission. Many many do, but not always. So uh, anyways... Good for them. Congratulations. Uh, They also said that the other top five teams were all, you know, from like actual military schools. So it sounds like pretty prestigious that BYU got into the top five. So Exactly. And I also liked at the end of the article, it said that while they were there, they attended Institute with Mm -hmm. the West Point Latter-day Saint Student Association. And on Sunday, they participated in sacrament meeting and Sunday school with the West Point cadets. So I I thought thought that was cool too. It it also talked about how they always pray together um, before their different events and activities and have a spiritual thought. And I thought, oh, that's also very cool. I know. Good on them. So, all right. The next story, this was in the Deseret News yesterday. And um, this is a very long article, but it is completely fascinating. So, again, it's a human interest story. And it is about a gentleman by the name of Spencer Brown. He is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, He is six foot seven, so he's rather tall. And... um, he uh, recently, he, he had gone to NYU pre-pandemic uh, to get a master's degree in uh, cybersecurity. He has his bachelor's degree and he was working, but then he was working towards his master's degree in cybersecurity. Um, but because of COVID-19, uh, he didn't get to go to graduation in 2020 or 2021. So um, his wife in, last year in July decides, hey, they, they were living in North Carolina at the time. They have family in Utah. And so they decide to come out to Utah for the summer to see their family. And she decides, hey, we're going to hold a graduation party for him um, to celebrate his graduation because who knows when he's ever going to get to walk for graduation. So um, his wife, her name is Ellis, and she is actually the daughter of Jason Chaffetz. And for those of you uh, who've been around for a little while, Jason Chaffetz was a um, congressman from Utah, and um, he was elected several terms and he served in Congress, and he gave up his job in Congress to accept a job with Fox News. And so he is a Fox News uh, analyst, and um, prior to that, he I think he'd been a walk-on on the BYU football team, and he'd done kind of really lots of lots of impressive stuff. So Ellis is his daughter. So they decide to hold this party at Jason Chaffetz's house. Uh, he lives in Alpine. He has a swimming pool. They're out there, uh, you know, kind of goofing off in the swimming pool. And um, her husband, Spencer decides to do a dive off the swimming pool and he got to the end of the board he put his arms to the side of his long body he'd done this penguin dive hundreds of times but this time he bounced headfirst into the 10 foot deep water a torpedo smashing to the bottom hence slamming to the concrete where it begins to slope towards the shallow end his neck and spine absorbed the sudden impact he could neither feel nor move so he's lying there at the bottom of the pool He's he's a jokester to begin with. And so he is afraid he knows something is seriously wrong. He is afraid that 
his family and her family are going to think he's just joking around. And so in his mind, he's thinking, this is how I say goodbye to the world. Okay, hold on tight. All of a sudden, Jason realizes, hey, Spencer's on the bottom of the pool and he's not coming up. And so he starts yelling Spencer's name. As soon as he starts to do do that, his wife, who is five foot four, jumps into the pool. And so she's trying to get him to the surface. And then other people jump into the pool. They keep him in the water till the paramedics arrive. Um, And it says very interestingly that the Chaffetz removed the diving board the next day. Um, And what was really interesting is he had this severe um, spinal cord injury. But Jason Chaffetz was supposed to um, be the guest host for the Sean Hannity show that night. So he sends his daughter and his son-in-law off to the hospital to deal with this. And he has to go to his basement and record his show for that evening, which I was like, wow. I guess Foxes cannot wait. <laughs> oh, man. Exactly. So his wife, Ellis, she'd never been big into social media before this, but she decides to start kind of chronicling her husband's recovery from this injury on social media, just because they had so many calls and inquiries and concerns. And so she had an Instagram account where she chronicles caring for him. Now, he wasn't a complete quadriplegic. He was what was called an incomplete quadriplegic quadriplegic. He had some sensation and movement below his neck. So he hadn't, he had damaged his spinal cord, but spinal cord, but he had not, um, it hadn't severed, it hadn't broken, it hadn't done any of that kind of stuff, but it was severely damaged. And as a result of being severely damaged, um, uh, he had, he, he really lost his ability to do everything. And so um, the doctor said, hey, his prognosis is pretty favorable. They're looking at him not being able to do anything. And they're like, okay. And so she just talks about extensively how, you know, the impact of this, of her knowing I'm 26 years old. Oh, and she's pregnant at the time too. Oh, right. oh. And before, have two little girls. They have two little girls, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And literally minutes before this diving board accident, he, they had announced she's pregnant with their third child. And so she just, you know, she's thinking to herself, I am 26 years old. What I thought my life was going to look like has now dramatically changed because I'm going to be caring for my children and I'm going to be caring for my husband. And it just talks about just how determined her husband was that I am going to get up and walk. I am going to do as much as I can. In fact, even when he's in the hospital in his first night in ICU, he has a class assignment that to do. So he's telling his brother what to type and where to move the mouse on the computer. And he gets an A on the assignment. And so he takes that sort of determination to his recovery because apparently with this type of injury, whatever you can recover in the first 24 months, that's kind of where you're going to be for the rest of your life. And so even though he had these, you know, even though it felt like the momentum was very, very slow, it's like, um, it's kind of like eating an elephant, you know, it's huge and you eat it one bite at a time. And sometimes you still look at that elephant and go, I got a lot of elephant left to eat. And, um, but he had a goal to be able to walk across the stage, uh, because they did hold graduation this year. And so most recently he was able to go back to NYU. They had some really good friends back there who watched their kids and he was able, um, with the, with the help of his wife to walk across the stage and, and receive his diploma. Uh, and he got a standing ovation for that, which is, you know, obviously a very cool thing talks about his attitude and just, you know, how he would get frustrated, how he would deal with those frustrations. Also talks about his gratitude for the friends and the family and the ward members who come and help them. The Chaffetz, um, they moved to the basement of their house and remodeled the top of their house in Alpine for him Mm. and their daughter Ellis and the kids. And they have members of their ward who come over every night and do physical therapy with him, help him get him in bed and just how people have really, you know, pulled together for them. He's back at work part-time from home. His fingers and hands have regained enough function to do some typing on the computer and texting on his cell phone. And so it was just really kind of a, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was a really heartwarming story Mm -hmm. of taking, 
you know, a, 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 a challenge. I, I can't even imagine no. being that young and having this very catastrophic accident happen that will literally change how you will live your life for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Very inspiring. Yes. Okay. Next story. Uh, we have a story about pancake syrup. I really liked this one. I thought it was fun. I want to go find the pancake syrup now. I've never had this syrup. (laughs) Me too. Okay. So there is a father son duo, um, that are revolutionizing pancake syrup in the Western United States. (laughs) One bottle at a time. So Bob and Christine Smith, who are LDS, that's the husband and wife in this family. Um, Many years ago when they went to, it sounds like some type of pancake breakfast at their LDS church, um, there was syrup there that was delicious. And it was not maple syrup. It was buttermilk syrup. Have you ever had buttermilk syrup? Oh yeah. It's good. It's good stuff. It's so good. It's really good. I think it's like a, I wonder if it is like a, one of those recipes that circles around in Mormon culture, because I had never had it until we were living in Oregon and we went to like a, a members in our wards house for like conference morning. Mm-hmm. And one of their conference traditions was like um, pun- pumpkin pancakes with this buttermilk syrup, which is basically buttercream and uh, like corn syrup. And I had never had it before that. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is really good. So I think it's one, maybe one of those recipes that circles around in Mormon culture. So it's an every um, ward cookbook. Yes. Yes. Anyway, this guy, Bob Smith had it, loved it, could never go back. So he kind of tweaked the recipe, uh, kind of made his own like secret combination signature recipe and they used it for years. They gave it for years, like to friends for Christmas presents. And for many years, the family would joke, um, yeah, we should sell this. This is so good. We should sell this. Well, they finally decided to get serious in 2012. Uh, By then they had moved to Utah and it says um, the Strawberry Days celebration in Pleasant Grove. They made 250 bottles. They call it Uncle Bob's Butter Country Syrup. (coughs) Excuse me. And they sold like hotcakes. So um, they kind of had this like little business going. And then in 2016, they got the first uh, syrup in grocery stores in Harmon's, which is a Utah chain. And then after that, they got it in Associated Foods, then Costco's and Walmart's in Utah. And it says Idaho. I have never I seen this here. I've never seen have it. you ever seen this here? No, but I don't really look for syrup. I'm not a huge no. syrup. So, but I'm gonna have to go look. I don't. I don't want the Costco size of this because, again, I'm not a no. huge syrup fan. But I wouldn't mind finding it, like at you know my Fred Meyer or something. Yeah. Anyway, it's a thriving business now. They make twenty five thousand bottles of syrup uh, every month. And the son has kind of taken over. The son's name is Jared, and he just graduated with his MBA, and so he's kind of like taking over the business. Cause when they initially started this, the dad, the dad is a full-time attorney and he was like, look, we'll do this family, but I can only give you like an hour a week. You guys got to run this thing. So the dad never wanted it to be like his main thing, but this son, Jared has kind of taken over and uh, the dad, Bob, he compares the breakthrough to the breakthrough that ignited when Hidden Valley Ranch came up with its buttermilk version of dressing. <laughs> He thinks that this is the Hidden Valley Ranch of syrups, and he's going to revolutionize. He's going to bring this syrup to the world. I bet he will. Well, what I found interesting, just to kind of final out this story, is Mm -hmm. flavors. So they've got their original buttermilk. They have cinnamon bun, coconut cream, harvest spice, creamy maple, and white raspberry. So not just buttermilk. Mm -hmm. Lots of other flavors. I would like to try that coconut one. That's that what sounds delicious. <laughs> okay, we need to go on a hunt for that. All right, we'll we'll let you know for fellow for our fellow Idahoans if we find it anywhere here. I bet it's only in eastern Idaho. <laughs> mm, yeah, that could be. Who knows? Well, well, you know. So they said it's in Smiths and. Smith's in Idaho is Fred Meyer. So maybe we like check out the Fred Meyer. See if it's all right. Fred Meyer. We'll hunt it down. You do that because you're the Fred Meyer shopper. <laughs> yes, I am. 
Okay. All right. So our next story, uh, this was LDS Living, and this was kind of a summary of a recent podcast, and it's how an Italian fashion designer responded to his mother's concerns about his decision to join the church. So this is the LDS Living podcast called All In, and they interviewed this gentleman by the name of Tommaso Cardullo. And the reason that this story just warms my heart is when I lived in uh, Provo, uh, Tommaso was in my ward and, um, really, and I know him and his wife, Anne and, um, his three kids. In fact, his oldest daughter, Ellie, I was her primary teacher and just really this neat, neat family. And when I lived in the ward at the time, he worked for Franklin Covey. And so any leather product that Franklin Covey had at that time, whether it was a purse, whether it was a, um, a binder for your Franklin Covey planner. He designed all the leather products that Franklin Covey sold. And then of course, uh, you know, Franklin Covey, you know, not, not many people are doing the planners anymore. And he mm-hmm. has subsequently branched out into his own design line. And he's just, he is the most, how do I describe him? He's so humble and he's just a genuinely nice, kind person. And he is, could not be any more Italian if he tried. <laughs> okay. How? <laughs> he, he Remember one time we were at a ward activity and you know, this, this was a number of years ago and he shows up with like these kind of capri pants that he's wearing that have like elastic at the bottom, kind of like joggers, only they like ended mid leg. And I'm thinking to myself, no other man could pull that off, but he <laughs> can pull that off and get away with it and look good in it. <laughs> okay. That's just, so he's just so European. Anyway. So the podcast goes through a lot. The excerpt in the article just talks about um, when he joined the church. He had been very, very close to his mother. His his mother was a widow, and um, he was very close to her, and he wanted to join the church, and she was not in favor of that. And um, she kind of gave him an ultimatum. It's me or the church. And well, he went to church. And before he left that day, he said, you know, I love you. And I love the savior in his church. I don't see why I have to choose between the two. I think we can live together. So, you know, you, you, you let me know how that, how that works. And mm-hmm. so he came home from church that day and he's, she was like, okay, fine. You know, I'm still <laughs> happy about it. So then he wanted to go on a mission. And she of course was very, against going on a mission and he went on a mission anyway and he writes her like every week for the first three months calls her once a month because he's just really concerned you know she is she has put up a stone wall and he's getting you know minimum he's getting no response so finally in the fourth month on his mission he got a letter from his mother and this is the one and only letter that he received on his mission and she says Tommaso, I had a couple of dreams lately, but there's one dream that really meant a lot to me. In this dream, I saw the Savior Jesus Christ. He was coming towards me and he was holding your hand and he said to me, you see your son, he's doing my work. Support him because he will come home safely. Wow. That's, That's a cool story. It is a cool story. So I have not had the opportunity to listen to the podcast yet, but that is on my agenda for tomorrow is to listen to Tommaso. And so I would just encourage anybody who wants to, to listen to that because he's just, I, I speak from personal experience. He's an amazing man, has an amazing wife and kids. So That's so cool. All right. Well, we've got one last story we'll hit on real quick. This is um, down in Denton, Texas. If you'll remember, about a year ago, there were two elders that passed away in a car accident um, in May of 2021, Elder Luke Carter and Elder Eli Fowler. Um, Well, the people in Denton, the members of the church in Denton, and also the members of the church in Colorado and Springville, Utah, where these elders were from, have kind of all gotten together and in their honor, um, over the past year, they've been working on a big family history project um, to create family profiles 
to create profiles on family search for all the residents of Denton from the year 1900 to 1940. And so um, that's just been a big combined effort. They're still working on it, but um, they've made a lot of progress and they're doing it in honor of these missionaries whose missions got cut short. I just think that's a really cool way to honor them, um, doing a family history project like that, specifically for the town that they served in. So I agree. I thought it was awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that finishes up for news. And now we are going to move on to my favorite segment, Mormons Behaving Badly. Now, tonight, as last month, we didn't have any more, we didn't have any Mormons behaving badly. Tonight, we don't lately. Pardon me? They've been good lately. They have been good lately. But what we do have is we do have people behaving badly at the temple parking lot. So that's what our story is tonight. Not we we don't we don't know whether these people are LDS. I'm suspecting they're probably not. So we're just going to call tonight's segment "People Behaving Badly on Mormon Property." <laughs> so that's behaving badly on Mormon property, right? Exactly. So we we had a shootout. However, the shootout was not at the OK Corral. The shootout was at the parking lot of the Idaho Falls LDS Temple. We had a 23-year-old man by the name of Frederick Free and a 28-year-old man by the name of Austin Cuck. So, um, Cuck believes that Free had gone to his house and taken his stuff. So he and he, the two of them agreed to meet up at the temple parking lot. And in the process of meeting up, Mr. Free founds a, finds a digital recorder that belonged to him or Cuck founds a digital recorder that belonged to him in Free's vehicle. So they have an argument. Free pulls a gun and points it at Cuck. Cuck said, are you going to shoot me? And Free says, why, yes, I am. And he shoots him in the hand. <laughs> this enrages Mr. Cuck. Mr. Fr- Mr. Mr. Free gets in his vehicle to leave. As he is leaving, Mr. Cuck's like, I'll see your shot and I'll raise it. And he starts shooting at the vehicle while Mr. Free is driving away. Uh, oh. They both got charged with crimes. Um, Mr. Free got charged with aggravated battery. And he was also charged with possession of a controlled substance because they found fentanyl pills in his possession. Mr. Cuck was charged with aggravated assault and unlawful discharge of a weapon at an occupied vehicle. So those are our individuals behaving badly this week on the premises of Mormon property. And it said that there was some uh, security footage they got from the temple. Yes, they did. The guy holding a hurt hand or something like that. I don't know. But so random. Like, let's meet at the temple. Meet me at the temple. <laughs> Although yeah. I guess in Idaho Falls, that is like the biggest landmark, right? It's right it's in the middle landmark. of the city. You know, I, I hate to be Captain Obvious here and point out the part of the state that this occurred in because <laughs> it's kind of the part of the state where we get all the crazy stories related to Mormons. Sorry, Jared. They come from Eastern Idaho. <laughs> It's true. Girl. It's true. <laughs> oh man. That was, a, that was a funny one. <laughs> okay. Should we move on to our favorite things? Yes. Let's do favorite things. Okay. My favorite thing for the month is a podcast. It's not a new podcast. It's been around for a while, but it's like new to me. And this is actually kind of a TWIM adjacent podcast because they Mm. have been on TWIM before. Um, Jeff has interviewed them. So the podcast is called Marriage on a Tightrope. Oh. And it is done by Alan and Katie Mount. They are married couple. Um, He has left the church and she is still active. And so they started this podcast um, several years ago to just tell their story. Um, This is how, you know, we manage this because- Living in a like faith, multi faith uh, relationship is obviously challenging. <laughs> so, marriage. Um, so, that's kind of how they started. And now they um, interview other couples in similar circumstances and let them come on and tell their stories. And um, they, so they have lots of really interesting interviews on there. And then they offer lots of like outside of their podcasts, they have a whole separate like support 
system type thing for people in mixed faith marriages. But it is so good. I don't know why it took me so long to hop on and finally listen to them. Because like I said, I've heard them interviewed by Jeff on TWIM and I I really liked him um, when Jeff interviewed them. And I thought, well, they're fun to listen to. Um, so I don't know why it took me so long, but I just recently hopped on and have listened to a few. And it's just always really interesting to me. Um, I have so many friends and family members in similar circumstances, a mixed faith, faith marriage, or sometimes one has left and then they both end up leaving. Um, and sometimes one stays and one leaves, but I just have so many friends in similar circumstances. And I think even within our marriages, when we are both currently like faithful members of the church, there's different degrees, right. Of, mm-hmm. of faith and, and the way that you live your faith. And, um, so I just think it's just interesting and helpful to hear how people manage that and juggle that. And I just think it can be applied many of the techniques, um, of communication and, uh, understanding that the couples like talk about on this podcast can just be applied to any marital issue in general. So I just, I really enjoy it. It's a very good podcast, Marriage on a Tightrope. Okay. Oh. Well, I will have to, I have to add that to my list. So my uh, item this month, or my uh, favorite thing this month is actually an item. In fact, okay. I'm going to hold it up here. It is, and and I will describe this for those of you who are listening and not watching the video that we are doing. This was a gift that I got for Mother's Day. It is a water bottle. Now, you know me. I am not a fan of water. You are a big fan of water. You you drink a ton of water. Me, I'm a Diet Coke girl all the way. On Diet Coke. I do, but I've, I've tried to cut back and I'm down to about like three cans a day and it's been that way for a while, but I also know I'm not getting enough water. So let mm-hmm. me tell you what is special about this little water okay. bottle. It is called the Circle, C-I-R-K-U-L, okay? okay. That's, that's the brand name on it, okay? So as you can see, it's just a clear little water bottle, but here is what is so fascinating is at the top, you screw off the top and it comes out and there is a filter. And so the filter goes in, oh gosh, I'm getting water all over my desk. This (laughs) filter is flavored. It automatically (gasps) flavors your water. And so you screw the filter on and it has a numbering system here. So depending on the strength of the flavoring that you want in your water, Uh you set the numbering system. It goes from, it goes from no flavor from, from, from X up to what does it go up to? Up to nine. And so if you want really strong flavored water, you're going to do a nine. The first flavored one that I put in here was fruit punch and I tried it on a nine and it seriously tasted like Kool-Aid. But here's the beauty of this. It doesn't have any sugar in it. So it's just flavoring your water. It tastes like Kool-Aid, but you're not like drinking sweetened stuff that's going to make you going to make you gag because it's so sweet. I don't like mine that strong. So I usually keep it like on a three, four. And this uh, flavor thing will last anywhere from a week to 10 days, depending on like how often you refill your bottle. I, you know, I'm still learning to drink my water. So my first one literally lasts me like two weeks. And And you can buy different flavors? You can. So this is the mixed berry. So for me, it came with the fruit punch and the mixed berry. And I just ordered different flavors today. Let me tell you the flavors that I ordered today. I need this in my life right now. Okay, so the flavors that I ordered today, I ordered white cherry, coconut pineapple, lemon lime, tropical blast, mango grapefruit. And so those should be here hopefully in a few days. So the child who purchased this for me did find it at Walmart, but they of course have a website and I went to the website to purchase the flavors. You can go to the website and purchase like the bottle and flavor bundles together, like for your starter pack. My shipping was free. Um, so I highly recommend this because it is really good. And so the little, the little, um, filter also has a, has a, that's how you drink your water is it's got a little cap attached to it and uh-huh. you just, you know, flip back the cap and suck down the water. So, okay. As a, this, 
looks amazing. It sounds like that. Have you ever tried those Hint waters? They sell them in the grocery store. No, I think I've heard about those, but I've never tried them. They're so good. This would this sounds like that. I think I need one of these. You you really do. Like I said, I have just I keep it up. I take it. I have to go into my office one day a week, so it goes with me into my office, and I just keep it in my house. And when I sucked all my water down, I go to the, my water cooler and just refill it and keep drinking away. So it's really helped me to drink water. My pregnant daughter Shelby got one because she doesn't really like to drink water and she needs to drink a lot of water. And so she is now chugging the water with the circle. Nice. Very nice. So, All right. Well, that's a fun favorite thing. I think that's it for us. Okay. Well, Twim Nation, thank you so much for joining us tonight. And hopefully when we record next month, we'll be back in the same room because I, I don't know about you. I felt a little out of sorts tonight, not Me being too. in the same room with you. It's just not used it, to this. It's not normal. It's just not normal. <laughs> anyway, so we will be back in the month of June and hopefully we will be together. Um, in any event, if you have any questions or comments, you can reach Jeff at contact at this week at Mormons.com. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, on the Instagram, and please become a Patreon supporter. Three bucks a month help keeps our servers running and helps us to be able to produce weekly content for you. So thank you very much. Good night. Thanks.